You know, the book of Proverbs, uh, verse 19, 21, it says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Have you figured that out yet? I mean, I would venture to say that in this room, I have a lot of planners, don't I? <laughs> I mean, we, we plan all kinds of things, especially this time of the year. You know, the calendar's full, things to do, places to be, lot, lots of plans. I think it's a season of, of planning, and Christmas is going to segue into the new year, which usually it revs up those planning engines in us, you know, the fact is some of you have big plans this next year. You plan on losing weight or getting out of debt or maybe slowing down, getting priorities right, improving things for, for the next year. I mean, that's the plan. And I think it's safe to say that all of us have life plans. We have thoughts, we have desires, hopes, dreams. And the fact is, God put those in your heart, many of those things. And there are other things that we've just chosen to wrap our heart around, so to speak. You know, sometimes uh, we head one direction. God wants us to go a different direction. Sometimes we get off the path that God desires for us, and we end up running into roadblocks and detours and problems. You know, sometimes uh, things come between us and our dreams, and our hopes, and our schemes, and we end up in these strange, unexpected uh, uh, kind of destinations, but God's purpose prevails. You know, sometimes I, I don't understand why I end up in certain places, and other times I think we do understand why we end up, and we just don't like to admit, you know, why, why we ended up in some place we didn't expect to be. You know, and what I've come to realize through, through life and over time is that Scripture proclaiming God's purpose prevails is actually really good news. Because no matter what anyone says, no matter what anyone does, no matter what happens in our life, if we understand God's purpose always prevails, it takes a little bit of the heat off of us. And I think it's what Luke was trying to get us to see when he started writing about that first Christmas. You know, Luke wants us to see all the plans that people are making. He wants us to see in the midst of all this stuff that's going on that seems unrelated that God's purpose would prevail. And today what I want to do is look at one of the most famous road trips in history. You know, one day in Rome, the most powerful person in the, in the world at that time, he was building his kingdom. I think you could argue that it might have been the greatest empire that has ever existed. And the Roman Empire was at its peak, and it was the, under the rule of this Caesar. And that kingdom was so big that it extended as, as far to the north as England, as far east as Asia, and as far south as Africa. In other words, his kingdom was massive. And he literally 
ruled what was known as the world at that time. This Caesar was known as the King of Kings. That was his title. He was devoted to expanding his glory. He wore a crown. I mean, that crown didn't come easy. In fact, he was a dangerous man. And he was a dangerous man to to all of his enemies. I love what uh, the orator Cicero said when he was talking about this Caesar. He said he's a talented young man who should be praised and honored and eliminated. (laughs) The fact is, one by one, he eliminated all of his rivals. He was sitting on top. You know, by by 27 B.C., the Roman Senate bestowed a new title on him, Caesar Augustus, which Augustus means glorious or or godly. History had never seen a leader that was this great. And in fact, following his death, people still worshipped the guy. They, They would say, glory to Caesar in the highest, and on earth, peace to those who find favor from Caesar. You tuck that back, we'll get back to that. He regularly would greet people and say, my peace I give you. And that peace that he was giving was known as Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And it was a bloody peace. I mean, he killed a lot of people to achieve it. He killed more people trying to maintain it. But it, it was a kind of peace that people, people uh, kind of clung to. And it cost a lot of money to have that peace. We, we know at one point Rome had an army of a half a million, standing army, ready to go at any, any moment. This guy's smart, and Luke, Luke, you got to remember, he's a historian. All right, Luke writes this, and it came to pass in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Perhaps no human being in history has ever had as much power as Caesar had. I mean, this Caesar snaps his fingers. He says the word and the whole world starts scrambling to obey. I mean, everybody's on, on a road trip at this point. And there went out a decree. Luke, Luke, I think Luke's saying, watch what happens here. Pay attention to the story because this Caesar, this king, this absolute monarch snaps his fingers, he's in Rome, 1,500 miles away, in an obscure province, a poor couple undertakes a very hazardous road trip at the whim of that king. He says, and it came to pass. It came to pass. He he wants us to notice the result of what this this king did, and all went to be taxed, everyone into their own city, and Joseph, this is Joseph and Mary here, and Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth 
in Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. Luke wants his readers, he wants us to understand and recall history at this point. The, the birth of a child in a little town who happened to be mentioned in ancient Hebrew scripture, a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah, the, the prophet Micah would, would say, say this. It says, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. In other words, you may look insignificant, you may seem obscure, but amazing things, amazing things are going to happen. And out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. A few ver verses later, Micah's going to declare, and he says, and he will be our what? Peace. Luke wants us to get connected to the prophecy, and he wants us to understand it's been fulfilled. God's plan, God's purpose prevailed. It's happened. In the midst of a world that's planning and dreaming and scheming, God was working toward a purpose in the midst of that. This ancient prophecy that said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph, you know, they didn't live in Bethlehem. They're in Nazareth. They never would have taken a road trip. I mean, she's, she's nine months pregnant. If it hadn't been for Caesar Augustus. I mean, let that sink in a little bit. There went out a decree. He says, and it came to pass. It came to pass. I mean, why did it come to pass? I mean, who made it happen? And I'm sure if you had went to Caesar, he'd go, well, it's because of me. <laughs> I made it happen. You know, he, he made the call. He snapped his fingers. He sent out the decree. And people jumped. And they started doing what they were supposed to do. And Luke, Luke is trying to get us to see there's something else happening here. He wants us to see what king is really at work. You know, who it, will is really being done. It's almost the tale of two cities here. You got one in Rome. Rome. Rome's one kind of kingdom. It's one kind of glory. One kind of peace, Pax Romana. One kind of king. In Bethlehem, there's another king. There's another kingdom. There's another glory. There's another peace that's being offered. You know, in Rome, we got soldiers. I mean, we got this vast army. In Rome, you got chariots and swords. And in Bethlehem, well, you got a stable. You got donkeys. You got shepherds. But get this the angels. They would not sing in Rome. They'd sing in Bethlehem. See, Caesar thought the throne was in Rome. 
Caesar thought all the power resided in Rome. He thought the throne that he sat on was secure. And humanly speaking, I would say that's probably true. But the real king was about to be born in Bethlehem. The Lord's purpose always prevails. How about Mary and Joseph? They also had plans, didn't they? They're engaged to be married. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Angel, angel shows up, informs Mary that she's going to give birth to the Son of God. You know, angels have to kind of assure Joseph and say, look, this is God's will. This is what's really happening. And so the, the two of them, Mary and Joseph, they, they work things out somehow. And I'm sure it was challenging. I mean, I, I think about all the family pressure that would have hit and the, the questions and the speculation, the innuendos. The, the jokes, come on, you know. I'm sure the community's buzzing. But let's be honest, most people in the community, they weren't buying the story, you know. And in that day, I, I think most of the community would have shunned them and pushed them aside. And I'm sure it's challenging for them. And then it gets more complicated. You know, so it came to pass, there went out a decree, Caesar Augustus has a whole nation of people scrambling and traveling in the midst of this, and now Mary and Joseph, they're forced to take a road trip. She's nine months pregnant, forced to travel 70 miles, Nazareth to Bethlehem, because of a census. And here's, I guess this would make it exciting, so you could pay more taxes. <laughs> Do you ever wonder what that trip was like? I mean, I, I often think about it. I mean, Mary, Mary's pregnant. She's traveling 70 miles. Either, either she's walking or she might have been on the back of a donkey. Probably not, but may have been. Roads are rough. No rest stops. No place to stop along the road. Did I mention she was pregnant? I'm sure she was very uncomfortable, and it was a long trip. And I, there are times when I read the story, and I'm thinking about it, and I, I, I kind of picture them walking along, and they, there is peace for them. You know, they're kind of taken in. What, what's transpired in their life recently. But there are other times when I really think about it, I'm thinking this trip might have been a bit tense, <laughs> you know. Seriously, Joseph, this is the best way to get there? Come on, you know. You, you know I hate this pillow. Why'd you bring this pillow, you know? When, when are we going to get there? You know, do you, do you, did you really forget the figs? You know I love figs. Are you kidding me? You know, you said you packed them. No, I didn't. I mean, there might have been one of those, you make the call, you know, throw the red flag down, you know. See, I told you, you said you packed them, you know. But I think it would have been kind of a crazy trip a little bit. 
And then after they make this miserable journey, they finally arrive where they're going. They get into Bethlehem, and it says, and she brought forth her first son, firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Thousands of people have infiltrated this small little town. And all we know, it says, there's no room for them. You know, and I, I've said, you know, maybe the, the innkeeper put up the no vacancy sign. Maybe he just refused to answer the door, you know. Maybe, maybe he was in Jerusalem at K, Kmart and, uh, you know, getting, getting his Hanukkah gifts. Uh, maybe, maybe he was apologetic. Maybe he was uncaring. Maybe, maybe he just refused to make room for him. All we know, no room at the end for him. I remember, uh, this is years ago, we were driving home from vacation. Our girls were really young. This is before cell phones, okay? And uh, so we'd been driving all day. We stopped to get gas in Atlanta. And Cindy said to me, she said, should we call and get reservations? I'm like, no, we'll be fine. <laughs> we get about an hour south of Chattanooga. It's midnight at this point. Everybody's tired. I saw a few hotels at the exit, so I, we went off the highway. I pulled up to the first one, no vacancy. Pulled up to the next one, no vacancy. No vacancies at any of the hotels at that exit. We stopped at the next exit. Guess what? <laughs> no vacancies. Exit after exit after exit. We kept seeing signs, no vacancy. And I'll just say it this way. Things are getting tense in our car. I'm leaving it at that. All right? We hit a point where we would have stayed anywhere, taken anything at any price, you know. We, we found out one of the clerks told us that there was a softball tournament and that there was not a hotel to be had for a 60-mile radius. Long and short, three hours later, we're just outside of Nashville. We finally find a room. Friends, it was so dirty, and it smelled awful. It was so dirty that we took our, we had our beach towels with us. We laid them on the bed and laid on top of the beach towels. And so when I see no vacancy, that's what I think of, all right? I think it had to be frustrating for Mary and Joseph. I know it was for us. It was aggravating. In fact, if you catch Cindy and talk to her, she will tell you it was my fault also. But uh, no room. No room. I wonder how many times God tries to connect with you, be a part of your life, and you have no room, no space, no time. It's like you hang a no vacancy sign up. Friends, we're making plans. We make plans for everything. But we don't make room for Jesus Christ and God in our life. 
often think the Christmas story, we try and sanitize it, you know, clean it up, pretty it up. You, you always see the pictures. Uh, in fact, you've probably got Christmas cards this year. It's got, got the picture. Mary looks perfect, doesn't she? Rested, aglow. Joseph, Joseph always, always looks very stately, like he's just freshly groomed. And the stable, the stable's always, I mean, it's pristine, you know, well lit, it's tidy, there's no dust, there's nothing out of place, and the animals are very orderly. That's not the picture. That's not how it was. I, Mary and Joseph are probably worn out. The, the stable, the, the animals, they're, they're dirty, they're noisy, and I guarantee you it smelled in there. That's not what they had planned. I think the uh, innkeeper gets uh, a lot of bad, bad press, honestly. You know, I wonder if he could have seen the future if he would have made room for Mary and Joseph. Maybe, maybe ask someone else to give up their room and stay in the stable so that they could have their room. I mean, you... you Read the story, and I think it's really easy to kind of pot shot the innkeeper. And then I, I go, well, wait a minute. Why are they having to look for a room anyway? I mean, Mary and Joseph, why aren't they staying with their family? This is Joseph's home, hometown. And the fact that, that they're not, that they have to get a room, it, it's puzzling to me, but maybe it's because their family wouldn't make room for them. You know, maybe there was family tension. And I'm sure they had heard the rumors about what had taken place. Maybe, maybe they had heard Mary's account about what had happened. And they're going around like, do you hear the ridiculous story she's telling? We all know how children are conceived. This is the most stupid thing I've ever heard. I mean, maybe the family was indignant. They'd been humiliated by what was uh, perceived to be the situation. Maybe they feared being shunned by the community. Maybe their family just made it clear there was no place for them in their home. And I often wonder about the family. You know, did, did they regret making the choices they made, you know? Like when Jesus started teaching and he's performing miracles and then people are speculating, you know, this might be the Messiah. You know, this might be, Jesus might have actually been sent by God. I wonder if it crossed their mind. I think it probably did more than once. Wow, maybe they were telling the truth about all of it. I think surely some of the family regretted not making room for them. Not, not making room for the possibility that, that God was doing something. Not making room for a little bit of grace, forgiveness. Jesus was born. Friends, he came and died for you and me. He came to this world for us. And I know some, some of you know Jesus well. Some of you are really close to God. I also know that some of you, well, you just go, things are really messed up. 
you know, you kind of keep your distance from God. The good news is it doesn't matter where you're at. God came for you. God's at work in this world and in your life. Many are the plans a person has in their heart, but God's purpose prevails. See, things may be going your way right now. Or things may feel like they're totally out of control. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Why? Because God has a plan. God has a plan in the midst of it. It came to pass. There went out a decree, and it sets everything in motion. And there was shepherds living out in the field by night, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. You know, a group of, of shepherds, they're out in the field. They're minding their own business. They had a plan. Their plan was to take care of the sheep. And I often wonder, it's like, so the shepherds are the first ones to hear the good news that Jesus has been born. And I'm like, why them? I think it might have been because they were open. They were listening. They weren't so busy that they actually could see what God was doing. I think God knew they'd be responsive. And get this, they're the least likely people from, from the world standard to get this good news. You know, the angels appear to the shepherds. The religion had rejected shepherds. Society, they labeled them unclean. They didn't want to be around them. They, in fact, they were, they were unclean in the religious community. And so they weren't allowed to go to the temple. They couldn't worship with the community of faith. They were kept on the outside. And they're the first ones. They're the first ones that get to hear the good news. Angels say, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in cloth and lying in the manger. The, these shepherds, who surely felt unworthy, inadequate, they, they were unloved. The, these shepherds who they personally felt really far from God, couldn't even go to the temple. I am sure when they heard the good news, they were overwhelmed. Can you imagine that? I mean, I, I, I picture them going, did, did, you, did you just hear what the angel said? Savior's been born. A relationship with God, it's possible. Salvation's for us too. I think God knew that they would struggle believing it. That's why he gives them the sign. He says, this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in cloth 
lying in a manger? The heavens explode at that point. Heavenly hosts fill the sky and they're singing. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appear with the angels praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. Here we go. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Sound familiar? That's not an accident. Glory. It's not like the glory of Caesar. It's not someone sitting on a throne 1,500 miles away. You know, it's, it's not a bloody peace. No. God's kingdom come to earth. You know, Jesus was born. Heaven celebrated. Salvation has come. It's being announced. Jesus was born. He lived and died to bring peace on every level. His kingdom come. His will be done. You know, the word became flesh. It dwelt among us. The king of kings The prince of peace is lying in the manger in Bethlehem. He was born. Peace was possible. Some of you need peace in your life. It starts with Jesus. You know, Scripture says that immediately the the shepherds, they, they hurry, they race to Bethlehem. I imagine they ran. You know, I don't know, I don't know if they took the sheep with them, left them. I don't know if the sheep were there when they got back. I have no clue. But they did not hesitate. They just took off and they find the baby Jesus. Just as the angels had said. And he's wrapped in cloth. And he's lying in a manger. Here's what I want you to get. Caesar thought he was in charge and in control. And he made plans, all right. Some of you think you're in control. And you have a lot of plans. A lot of plans. Some of you. You have plans, but if you were honest today, you feel like everything's out of control. But here's what you need to understand. God is in control. God has a plan, and his purpose will prevail. So why not surrender to that? When you surrender to that, no matter what's going on in your life right now, and you go, Lord, I know you're in control. I know you have a plan. It makes no sense to me right now, but I get it. Guess what you find? Peace. Peace. Some of you need peace in your life. And you find it in Jesus. See, a Savior's been born, and his name is Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. 
He's, he's come to this world. That's why we celebrate. You need peace? Find Jesus. Find Jesus. Let, let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, God, we praise you. God, we are just amazed. At what great love you've got. That you sent your son to this world. And God, we've all got plans. Sometimes those plans get uprooted. Sometimes we're not even sure how we're going to take the next step. God, help us to know that you have a plan. That your purpose will prevail. We just trust you. God, I pray that we'd keep our focus on the real meaning of this holiday. That we'd celebrate your son. God, we thank you for Jesus. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. There'll be prayer teams down front if you need prayer. And let's, let's stand. Let's, let's worship. Let's worship. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.